From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Tuesday, Labor Day off yesterday. Did you work? Of course. Did you? Yeah, I filled in three to six on our uh, primetime show. Very nice. I'm John Montobel from VSIN in with us as the company. Ari is here steering the ship. We're in the Finley Toyota Studios. Lots of football to get to. It's the opening week of the NFL, so we'll have some Raiders throughout the show, some Raiders talk throughout the show. Later on, we're going to talk to uh, former Charger Lorenzo Neal. In the 5 o'clock hour, and we'll certainly get into what's going on with UNLV as they have game number two against a Pac-12 opponent. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Now, I might be wrong on this. I'm anticipating almost zero home field advantage aside from the location for Cal. Mm. I don't think a big crowd is going to show up. Uh, the UC Davis crowd, if you didn't see it, they beat UC Davis over the weekend. I think it was 34-13. Cal wins against FCS UC Davis. UNLV's, you know, not a mega football program that's going to draw a bunch of folks in until they start winning at a much higher level. That's just reality. And my impression of Cal sports fans, and maybe football is a lot bigger than basketball. Basketball just hasn't been very good. I went to a Cal-UNLV game a few years ago. Boy, boy, boy there was no one there. And uh, we know in Northern California, for those both of those schools, they don't draw real well, which I wanted to get into because we're going to talk about the Mountain West in the opening weekend in about 15 minutes. But I wanted to get into what I saw this weekend in college football. I know you watched a ton of games. And there was a point on, well, know, it was probably Saturday evening at like 5 o'clock. I'm watching some of the games. Well, you hated yourself because you hadn't gotten up from your couch? I really hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> I really hadn't. I was doing watching football and doing chores, right? Bouncing around the house, doing my yearly equipment inventory. I have way too much radio equipment, but I was trying to find everything for the football season. But as I was watching, I'm like, my God, some of these places, man, you know, uh, Utah and Florida, it's like 70,000 people there in Gainesville. Probably not perfect weather, right? It's hot in Florida. Oh, yeah. Notre Dame, Ohio State. Whatever the shoe holds now, 105,000, just jammed. Wisconsin against Illinois State, freaking packed. And then you look at some of the West Coast games. And we'll get to San Diego State. That turned into a real interesting story because it was hot as blank in Southern California. And we're used to it. They're really not. The Rose Bowl I mean, look like less than 20,000 people. It's such a gargantuan stadium. No one was there for UCLA and Bowling Green. And like I said, SDSU opened a new stadium. There's no one in the stands, but there was more of a story there. And I just heard Doug Gottlieb coming in. Yeah, I like listening to Gottlieb in the afternoon. We actually get, you know, West Coast topics, which I like, right? Mm-hmm. Love ESPN Radio National, too. But um, I like the way Gottlieb does the show, and he's got a good crew. And they got into a conversation about, attendance at UCLA games and Gottlieb offered like 15 different excuses as to why people don't go. And as I was listening, I'm like, yeah, I understand all that. But I also understand why folks in Madison, Wisconsin and Gainesville, Florida, and, you know, freaking Tuscaloosa, Mm -hmm. you know, Utah state's in town and Alabama's going to still sell out or even Pittsburgh. 
Like, Pittsburgh has not been a great football program of late. They had a good year. Last year, 70,000 people. Rivalry game against a real opponent, too. That helps. Right. But that was one of the excuses. That, oh, it's a crappy opponent. And the more I started listening to them, like, you know, when people say college football, there are certain regions around the country, they do care more. And, like, while we can offer up, like, oh, because they, they went around the room. I thought this was really good, and the guys were all honest. And I, they're, they're a little desensitized to the excitement of sports because they work in sports. But that aside, he went around the room, and he's like, how much money would I have to give you to go watch that game? You know, it was 105 at the Rose Bowl. It was hot. It was, it was really unseasonably hot in Southern California. 105. They're playing Bowling Green. It's a, you know an easy opponent. How much would I have to pay you? And they went around the room and it went anywhere from give me five hundred bucks and I would go up to five thousand. I guess. I mean, I think there's a couple of different factors, right? So first off, I will say, I'd point out that many of the matchups that you mentioned were very high profile games, right? Number seven coming to town for Florida is pretty big. Yeah. The the re like the resparking of the backyard brawl is a pretty big deal. Right. But uh, but, but Alabama and right. Wisconsin, those are not premium opponents for for those fans. But to yeah, and that's what I was gonna go with, which is at the end of the day though, I do think and I don't know if you phrase it as they care more or if there's just it's just I don't want to call it niche because it's not, but it's just so isolated in terms of hey man, we're out in Tuscaloosa, let's go watch some football. Like they really care about Alabama. Like it's all it's I wouldn't say the it's all that they have. But it's really the thing that they care about. Like there are, I can't remember what I was listening to. I think it was Lebertard's podcast. They even brought it up. Like in those regions, they care more about college football than they do about the National Football League. Mm -hmm. That is the more important thing to them. And that is the main ticket in town as well. And so I think that really helps in a area like UCLA, where there's a lot of stuff to do during a heat wave. And UCLA has been okay, right? The last few seasons, (laughs) there's really nothing to go out and get excited for on top of already having a lesser opponent in Bowling Green. I think it speaks more to the state of the program as opposed to like the love for college football in general. I don't know if UCLA, if they were awesome, if they would get 50,000 consistently in that building. I don't know if it would happen. Also, did you have, did you get the, uh, the outright numbers? Cause I will say the Rose bowl optically, it is not very friendly in terms of like, even if you get like 40, 50,000, it oh, looks it's cavernous. It's, and it's empty. too big. I mean, yeah. it, here's, here's reality to me in the West. Most of the stadium should be max 50,000. Mm-hmm. You don't need, if they have NFL, SoFi needs to be 85,000. They're like, that's an example. Well, is it? Let, let's get to that, actually. SoFi holds 85,000. They will have 85,000 plus for the Raiders and the Chargers. And in all likelihood, 50,000 plus or more will be Raiders fans. Mm hmm. Now the Chargers are up against it because they're, you know, it's a it's a team that wasn't from the region. LA people don't like San Diego people, and believe me, San Diego people for them, they really hate LA people. But you know, the Chargers have some battles, but fans, I mean, SoCal fans will show up, but they're not gonna show up for their local team. And just like the Rams could be in that situation on Thursday night when the Bill, like there, there could be a Bills Mafia takeover with thirty or forty thousand Bills fans going cross country because that's an awesome trip. So We'll see what it turns out the rest of the season. I don't think it's just based on opponents. Uh, I just I think West Coast fans, and I, I defend West Coast fans. Like, I, I will defend Dodgers fans. I will defend Lakers fans, right? Because mm-hmm. they will show up. And the Clippers Rams fans. are going to build their, their audience, and the Chargers will eventually get there if Herbert and the team, you know, are a 10, 10 win team for like 10 straight years. They'll get there. But it's, it is for college football, it's just different in those other markets. It just is. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I think UCLA, because they were cash poor and in big debt, and even USC, they look at it, 
hey, gate is one thing, but we're going to make most of our money off of the TV deal, and that's why we need to run to the Big Ten to get saved by $100 million a year. You're like you see the signs that view, and this is in a lot of markets and a lot of sports. There are a lot of people around the country who are like, "I'm not spending the money. You've you've hit the ceiling for me on tickets, pain in the ass to get there, parking, concessions. I'm done." Mm-hmm. And those places we mentioned, they don't care. They may they might not even have that much money. Now I know there are rich fans in the South, but I. I think in a lot of a lot of places that love college football, they're willing to spend a lot more of their uh, discretionary funding. Is that even the right word? Whatever. Uh, their extra money, they're willing to spend a much bigger percentage than I think people out here are. Yep. I mean, I'm listen, again, I've been desensitized to going to live sporting events. Like there's a point where I'm like, it ain't worth it. I'm just not gonna spend that amount of money. And I so I agree with all that. And my thinking more is like I'm gonna just gonna miss out on a lot, right? I don't want to go to a live event That's because it. I am isolated at this event. And while, yes, I have you know unlimited data on my personal plan and I can pull up a game here or there, huh. when I got done with work on Saturday, I went home, had three screens, and was watching a lot of stuff and had something on my phone. But I'd also say this kind of along your line of thinking too, which is when you kind of shift more to the West Coast, specifically like California, because we're talking about quite a few of those teams, I mean, I think generally when you're talking about the population – the interests have just kind of shifted when it comes to who's moving to California, why they're going there. I think they're, for lack of a better term, you know, those Silicon Valley kind of hippie-esque, like, hey, let's go do more different, let's do different things as opposed to going to sporting events. And maybe it has lost its popularity with the people who are populating that state now. NFL, ESPN rolls out a big feature on Devontae Adams. So, best points of the story were? Uh, I would go with, so here's the thing. So I like little things like this because features are always, you take everything you read with a grain of salt, I believe, because things are always given out there to kind of, you know, really add to the the legend or whatever it is. So for example, uh, they are uh, talking to Derek Carr about Devontae Adams, right? And he's talking about how, you know, when he showed up at Fresno State, I knew this guy was different. When he's a registered freshman, like, he's like, I, the second he stepped on the field, I knew Adams was going to be amazing. Right. Yeah. Do, do you really think that? I don't know. Uh, but he also had a line in there where when they would get together in the offseason and they would hoop, as Derek Carr called it, uh, which picturing Derek Carr, Carr referring to basketball as hooping is hilarious. Did you know that Devontae Adams would always wear a Raiders T-shirt, Steve? Almost like he was speaking it to existence, as Carr said, that he would be a Raider one day. I don't believe it. Uh, I believe it, but I think I what, was more, he, what was more significant is Derek Carr for years and years and years sort of tampering. You can't stop guys from talking about oh, their he, football future, but it sounds like you know Carr was pretty unashamed of just saying Raiders, 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 Raiders. Like, you got to come here, bro. This is a great paragraph. Team executive coach is not allowed to contact opposing players, but there's no such thing as player-to-player tampering. Quote, Carr says, oh, man, I was egregious when it came to tampering and trying to get Devontae (laughs) Adams to come over. Why wouldn't you? Adams is arguably one of the best receivers in the National Football League, right? Or the best, you know, in the National Football League. And he's a buddy of yours from college. Of course that's going to happen. I just like the little things. The little things where, do you think that he wore that every time they play basketball? Or did he wear it one time and Derek Carr is going to use that as part of, like, the legend <laughs> that is Devontae Adams? He, also, yeah. he's got a kitchen he can ride an electric bike around in. Devontae Adams, yes. not Derek Carr. Yeah. Really? How, like, how about that? God, I would like to see that. That's, can they I show just a picture say? of it? No, it doesn't. And that's the thing, too. I found myself, because old school journalism, right? Because I will say, 
as a millennial, I found my attention span waning. It's a massive feature. And so I was kind of like going in and out, like doing that thing where I would read three graphs. I'm like, wait, what did I just read? I had to go back and kind of read it again. But I found myself as I was reading and thinking, that is the cool part about being like a journalist in this sense. You got to go to Devontae Adams' house and like check out the place and everything like that and hang out with them for a little bit and see the, as he puts it, SUV-sized refrigerator in the kitchen in which he can ride his electric bike. That's living. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. As you can see, Snapdragon Stadium has a very open-air concept, leaving almost all 35,000 seats in direct sunlight. Well, unfortunately, when you have days like today, temperatures peaked at 102 degrees with 30 to 40 percent humidity, making it almost impossible to stay cool. As you can see, students, fans, and alumni alike all had to look for every little square inch of shade to possibly stay cool in these extreme temperatures. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. So that was kind of an uh, interesting investigative report by just someone on Twitter. I'll uh, we'll fire a couple more bites of the experience at San Diego State. So the Aztecs open up their new stadium. They build this 35,000, 37,000-seat stadium. They're looking forward to it forever. You know, the Qualcomm property was available. They raised Qualcomm, San Diego. Check that. The Chargers, LA Chargers, out of town now. So, hey, great chance to make a college-only stadium that could be expandable to like 55,000 at some point. And then, you know, I looked at the crowd during the game, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And this kid caught a video underneath the stadium where people just hanging out. It looked like like it was like disaster relief, like as if a tidal wave, I don't know what, you know, an earthquake, right, had hit San Diego, and they're like, hey, come to the stadium because, you know, it's safe here. Dude, it was hot. And the more you looked at the stadium, you're like, wow, they built a stadium in Mission Valley with no shade at all. And, you know, it's funny. I saw some UNLV fans laughing at it. Like, you remember what Sam Boyd was like? Yeah. It was rough, man. Oh, on yeah. sunny days. If you And CBS also wanted an afternoon spot. So they almost never play in the afternoon. They avoid any of this by playing at night. And if people are like, well, you know, 102. I mean, it's the same. It, it's not. 102 there is not 102 here. It's just, it's not. It's not. So this kid's walking around the stadium and he can, continues to tell the story. Like, this was a disaster for the opener for these fans. Fans retreated to every possible overhang, into the stairwells, even into the landscaping where they weren't supposed to be. One thing was for sure, everyone seemed very uncomfortable and extremely upset at the way this game was handled. Like most sports fans, when Snapdragon Stadium was first announced, we were extremely excited to finally be replacing aging and decrepit Qualcomm Stadium. What we didn't realize is that firms that had no prior experience on sports complexes in Southern California would get the opportunity to bid on this project, leading to many design flaws that led to today's demise. Yep. Uh, no shaded areas at all in the stadium. Uh, I don't know if you – did you ever go to Qualcomm for a football game? No. Woo! There was one side – I'll get my directions wrong, but the one side of the stadium, hmm. whether it was 72, 75, 78, 82, the sun there is so friggin' hot – like you could barely sit on the one side of the stadium, and it was over 100 degrees on Saturday, and neither side had shade because what would happen at Qualcomm, because it was such a big stadium, you'd have this you know real high press box going up. I mean, it was a major league stadium, so you'd get shade. Yep. At some point, the stadium's a lot lower. It only holds 35,000, so it was just – it was 
abysmal. And then, worst of all, uh, this dude points out that then when people are just trying to get cool somewhere or get water, uh-oh. Once word spread that the SDSU gift shop had air conditioning, long lines began to form outside the shop, causing security to monitor entrance. And then the real drama ensued. As ice and water became scarce throughout the stadium, fans began to faint and pass out due to extreme dehydration and sun fatigue. All medical resources within the facility were maxed out to capacity. There you go. Then you had people passing out, and eventually they did get some water, and they were giving out water free. But, I mean, can you think of a worse possible way to open your brand new stadium that you've been waiting for for four years? And on top of that, they got just slaughtered. They got run over physically. <laughs> and their savior quarterback, Burmeister, who's been at two different places before this, going to be an upgrade from the previous years, he gets hurt. Mm-hmm. I So I, I want to point out a couple of things. First off, um, yeah, I didn't realize. I thought it was a really good point. The bidding on the stadium for people who don't have like experience in building those kind of things out there in Southern California, not con- not considering the heat, at least the early portion of the season. Night games in San Diego as the season goes along are beautiful. Be awesome. They're beautiful. They're going to be fantastic. But I'm telling you, I went to multiple Chargers games when they played in the afternoon, and it, it was it's a freaking hot, hot stadium. Yep. And I also want to point out the responses on this video were tremendous. Can I read you one of my favorite ones? Do it. Yeah. This is the softest thing I've seen today. Look at the SEC and Big 12 teams playing in 100-degree heat week in and week out. There's no issues. It's an outdoor stadium. If you can't handle being outside for that long, then don't go. Awesome. Eh, maybe they have a point. No, uh, because- When it gets to unsafe levels, though, and there's no water... Uh, that gets kind of dangerous. There's also a difference between, right? Like I was laughing in general because, yes, 102 degrees in comparison to what like we've experienced out here, yeah, it's not really that hot. But at the same time, when you're just sitting in the heat and that's it, right? You're not moving. The sun's just beating down on you. That becomes a little bit of a different thing. And also, if you can't retreat to at least a little bit of shade at some point, then that's not going to be a problem. I would think that if you're the Aztecs moving forward, uh, I don't know how much control they would have over it. You push for not playing at noon on a Saturday anymore, right? Especially right. At the beginning of the year. But it was a TV slot, and they were on CBS. They were on CBS, weren't they? They were big CBS. You kind of got to take that if you're San Diego State. What do you think of the team? I think they're exactly what we thought they were going to be. Now it's not fair that Burmeister, you know, got hurt. But at the same time, I think offensively, I wasn't sure how good they were going to be, and it didn't really look that great. And I will say the shocking part was, as we kind of all expect. I thought they were going to be very good on defense. And there were times where it looked like Arizona had the better athletes and they were just out-athleting them. That was that was shocking to me. Because there was a point where I think Arizona was up 14. They came back. They cut it to seven. They had the ball. But they turned the ball over and Arizona scores before halftime and they never really give it up after that. But I was really surprised that at times it just looked like Arizona had just a better talent out there on the field. That was shocking. It's against a good program. It's not all the way back, Arizona, obviously. He's recruited really well. He's used the transfer portal really well, Jed Fish. And I don't want to judge Mountain West Conference teams from this weekend. I do. And say, well, I mean, we got initial reads, but they all, like, a lot of them did play pretty good teams. Boise, for example, you, a, you and I, well, I, I you're right. Arizona was a one win team last year. I, I don't want to go crazy yeah. over Arizona. I think Arizona could be a four or five win team this year. Um, and I also don't want to go crazy saying that Boise faced some, you know, giant killer. Boise did not look good, and now the handwriting's on the wall. What are they going to do with Bachmeyer? You throw him right back in there because 
they had to pull him and replace him, and the freshman who came in looked pretty good. Right. And for so for me, for Boise State, it's you and I have brought this up multiple times in the offseason, which is Boise State is not the program that it once was. It just isn't. When you look at them from a talent standpoint, from a development standpoint, they went through a run of coaches that were so good at player development. And those guys went and got better jobs. It is not the same thing anymore. And Andy Avalos could eventually maybe become that. But at this point right now, it doesn't look like that. And because they have the Boise the Boise logo, mm-hmm. guys like Hank Bachmeyer and their play, for some reason, gets completely overlooked. Hank Bachmeyer, since he has been there, he's a solid, fine quarterback. But he has been a guy who holds on to the ball too long, who consistently puts the ball in danger. This is who he has been throughout his entire tenure. And yet... You get publications and whatnot who just recognize Boise State as the brand and put them on lists for top West Coast quarterbacks. And Boise State's a favorite to win the the Mountain West and all these things. When if you actually evaluate the program for what it is, it's on a little bit of a downturn here. And coming into this year, I think there were some legitimate questions about how good they could be. And what happens? Three early turnovers for Bachmeyer. He looks exactly like you thought. And they lose the game to Oregon State. Comfortably. So are you willing to say that there is no dominant team in the Mount West Conference, or can Air Force be the one team that approaches nine or ten wins? And can, and are we overdoing it with Boise and San Diego State, and they can still be nine or ten win teams? Oh, I think I think there are two potentially dominant teams in the Mountain West, but it's not the powers that be. It's Air Force and Fresno State. I love Fresno State. I think they have one of the best secondaries in the Mountain West. They have the best quarterback in the Mountain West. They look like they're a team that could be pretty good. Same thing with Air Force. Air Force is a team that, from a sports betting standpoint, there are a lot of odds makers out there who have them favored in every single game this year. Their schedule sets up really nicely. And we've talked about it before. The returning talent, really good offensive line, arguably the best quarterback in Air Force's history. They are a team that is set to be very good. I just think that like the collective, we just got this wrong coming into this year. I think there are two programs at the top of the right. conference, but it's not the two that we always expected. Right. Well, we didn't get it wrong because we right. were saying this during the summer. Collectively. San Diego State. Has a get-right game. They better handle Idaho State easily because yeah. UNLV did. But then they're at Utah. Oh, boy. Well, but here's the thing. In the past, that was a game like against Utah where you turned that on. And I, I don't know what time that game is, but it's like a late-night game, I would assume. But like, you turned that on late at night, Steve, after you've gone out and done some stuff. And San Diego State's in like a 10-7 game. They're down by three, and they're making a team that is clearly above them scuffle a little bit. I don't know if I have faith that that's going to be the case for San Diego State in a game like that now. In recruiting rankings are one thing and I was going through some of them, but like when you even look like a team like Boise state, right? Where by 24, seven metrics, the 24, seven sports of the recruiting classes, like percentage points better than UNLV's recruiting class a season ago. Like the recruiting's not even the same anymore for these programs. They've just kind of come back to the pack now with all these teams in the mountain West. Well, San Diego state should be mostly fine because I think the West has a lot of question marks below mm-hmm. them. Fresno is good. Although I will say, Keep an eye on Fresno next couple of games with the offensive line. Yeah. Didn't look great. That was Cal Poly? Do I have the right? Yes, the right school? So, yeah. yeah, Cal Poly. Portland State was the one that gave San Jose State <laughs> that a little of trouble. 14-7 in the uh, third. Boise's best non-con after this, uh, they host BYU. That's, so that's not going to be an easy game. No. And I, I think USF is a really poor defensive team. So what BYU did over the weekend is probably, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. You're going to learn a lot against Baylor this weekend, though. Uh, one more story, and this kind of goes back to what I talked about at the beginning of the show. Nevada. This week was against Texas State. Do I have that right? Yes. Right? Week one was New Mexico State. Yep. That was on the road. First home game. 
Lowest attended home game in 11 seasons. So Ken Wilson walks in and he's got a program where people are feeling really bad about the program because all we heard about was money and lack of money. And Jay Norvell bolted for CSU. By the way, he got a nice welcome against Michigan. Harbaugh running his offense. They they couldn't (laughs) move the ball at all. But Wilson goes out there today and you're trying to draw fans and you're also trying to win. So they're playing incarnate word. Right. Who, by the way, aren't they like a one point favorite? Like, Tight game. They were a small favorite against Texas State, and they pulled away. But, they were an underdog but, against but the head coach State. said, uh, if our fans uh, were waiting to see what we looked like before they came to a game, I'd expect a sellout next week because this team played its butts off. Okay, That's one of those where it's like, where are you? Come out and support, please. I'm a new coach. I need fans in the stands. But it's also it's it's really tough for him because your program has – Jay Norvell told you, and I don't think it was it, – it was – it was not underhanded to pilfer the roster, but you know, it made me chill out a little bit with the way he like <laughs> really just pillaged the entire thing. But it was also because, like Norvell kind of said it with his actions, they don't really care. They're not spending the money. They're not giving me the resources. So in turn, if I'm an actual avid fan of that program and I saw Jay Norvell leave because they weren't going to put any effort into financially supporting that program, why would I? Today's Cofield and Company is presented by Ellis Island Casino, home of 3-2 Blackjack, craps 10 times odds, and $5 games. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. UNLV's taking on Cal. We're going to talk uh, Cal Bear football, a little arena football, a little NFL with a quarterback guru and former Cal quarterback, Mike Pulaski is going to join us. But we're coming off a weekend with a ton of football. We're going to get to Miles Simmons, our PFT, NFL insider, football frenzy, more college notes. But with JVT here, the NBA expert from VEASAN, I didn't get your reaction on the Donovan Mitchell trade from the Jazz to Cleveland. And then then the reaction – of New York fans and media who have now come up with this thing that Danny Ainge f them because he doesn't like them. The the article you sent over had a note in it. It was like you know Danny Ainge in his time with Boston only made one deal with New York. Like he's not beholden to deal for them. Okay, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and and there's a lot there's a lot of people who think that Ainge was upset. For those who don't remember, I think it was the playoff the first playoff series against Dallas uh, in which the Knicks sent over like a cavalcade of execs to watch the game. They were like front row there watching Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz play. And it's pretty disrespectful. right? It's it's extremely disrespectful to do that. Um, But it's hilarious because the Knicks, and I've I've read a lot of different stuff. There has been reports that Quentin Grimes was the hang-up, that the Jazz wanted Quentin Grimes, that the New York Knicks did did not want to ship off Quentin Grimes. I heard, I think it was Brian Windhorst of ESPN, on his podcast, talked about one of the big hangups was the protections on one of the picks. I think the New York Knicks in one of the later first-round selections told them, the Jazz, that they wanted it protected top five, and the the Jazz wanted no protections on it, which is weird because they were actually, reportedly, willing to give all the swaps and the same amount of picks as Cleveland. The only hangup was the protection on one of the first-round picks. So if that was actually the case, it does seem like that's in New York's hands, right? Just don't give up the give up the protections, and Donovan Mitchell's yours. Now, if it's Quentin Grimes, because here's the thing too, and this is why this year is going to be very intriguing. Tom Thibodeau has 
this thing. And his team is much younger this year, so a lot of stuff is out of his hands. But Tibbs has had this deal where he kind of has refused to turn over the keys and the reins to the younger players. You saw it a bunch last year, and you saw it in the numbers. Like their most oft-used lineup was an older lineup, which was absolutely atrocious in terms of its net rating. He's not going to have that much of a choice this year because the roster is a little bit younger. But for a guy like Quentin Grimes, for example, who had an incredible summer league, good offseason, and New York is telling the Jazz, uh, reportedly untouchable, you can't have him, we better be a key part of the rotation this year. If you're Tom Thibodeau, he better be a guy who's going to be, you know, player number six or seven coming off of the bench. Now, yeah. Right. He better be it. Because if you're going to put this out there that, like, hey, bad faith negotiations, you didn't give us a chance to, you know, bring back another offer, and we just didn't want to give up Grimes, you better be a big part of your team going forward now. Because if that's going to be the case and you're trying to play the victim here, and then the season comes around and Tibbs is like, eh, 10 minutes a game, kid. <laughs> then, then what's the deal? Where do you have Cleveland now? I'd, like they're with Atlanta, like fifth-ish, you know? So are you of the mind, like, uh, there are a lot of people, when they saw the trade, they're like, why even do this? Why accelerate where your team is going? You know, if you're only going to be the sixth best team in the East, what's the point? Well, because now, I mean, you accelerate your timeline, but you also become more attractive, right? In free agency, anything like that. You now, all of a sudden, if teams are looking around and they're like, okay, if I'm a player who feels like they could be the last piece to a team, you're looking around and going, well, the Cavs have a bunch of guys who are younger than like 28 years old. Why wouldn't I not go there and be part of something really big? And the other part of it, too, I mean, look at the structure above them in the Eastern Conference. I guess the Celtics are relatively young, so that's going to be a team that you would think sticks around for a while, but they're coming up against maybe some cap shenanigans that they're going to have to deal with when it comes to Brown, Tatum, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the 76ers revamping, they look pretty good. And again, they look pretty set in stone, but Harden, remember, He's got a one and one So who knows what happens after this year? That thing could to- totally fall apart. We have no idea what the Nets are. There is a very realistic possibility mm-hmm. that after this year, the smoke clears, and it's the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Cavs who are the three best teams in the Eastern Conference. Monday Night Football starts up this coming Monday. Oh, Let's yeah. do it. We're back partying again at Twin Peaks in Henderson. Willie Ramirez is hosting the party all the way through the beginning of the second half. Got the big beers, 22 ounces, under $4. $3.99 shots all day, every day at Twin Peaks on Eastern in Henderson. And happy hour going down when we're out there. We'll do a 2 o'clock start to Cofield and Company, and then Willie stays around until 7, hosting the party. 2 bucks on the chips and salsa, $4 on the fried pickles, mozzarella bites, $4. You got the Peak Sampler, just... 10 bucks. It's Twin Peaks. Great spot. Great spot. Cold brewskis, real cold. And the ladies of Twin Peaks in Henderson with Cofield and Company every Monday evening. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Second down. Hastings. Intercepted. Picked off by Craig Woodson. All the way back. A pick six. 38 yards. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Let's talk a little Cal football. Cofield, JVT, UNLV going to Berkeley this weekend. We'll get the uh, preview from the color analyst and the former quarterback with the Bears and uh, Mike Pulowski. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Just uh, getting out of a little high-heat football practice today. You guys know about high-heat, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, of course, in Vegas. Yes, 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 yes. Um, let's start by talking about uh, the Cal performance against UC Davis, and not unlike a lot of programs. Hey, the beginning of the game, you know, doesn't always go smoothly coming out for Week One. 
Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of rust, a lot of new guys. You know, transfer portal, uh, a bunch of graduations, some injury retirements in Cal last year. Offensively, there's only three returning starters uh, for that unit. And so at the end of the first quarter, they had a minus one yard of total offense and an interception. So definitely not solid uh, in terms of performance. But they were able to right the ship. Uh, got a little better running the ball, but I thought Jack Plummer kind of came into his own, settled his feet underneath him, and started to show some of the talent that they've amassed through recruiting. Uh, especially, in particular, Jeremiah Hunter and uh, Jay Knott, the new running back, freshman running back, looked pretty spectacular in this game. So let's talk about Ott and his backstory. I know he actually landed here in Vegas for a year, and then COVID hit, and this was a highly recruited kid. I mean, he was offered by everyone coming out of Norco. Depending on which recruiting service you talked about, he's a four-star or a five-star kid. Mm-hmm. They consider him the highest recruit, highest-ranked recruit uh, that has been landed during the Justin Wilcox era. Uh, and he showed it as a true freshman in the game uh, last Saturday. Now, I, w- I had the pleasure of playing with Russell White when he came out. And for people that can't remember that far back, Russell White was probably the top tailback in the country. Uh, when he came out of high school, uh, Charles White, Heisman Trophy winner's nephew out of USC, and Russ came up to Cal, and the first time he touched the ball in Memorial Stadium versus the University of Miami team that went on to win the national championship, he returned the kickoff for a touchdown. <laughs> and so I've seen some pretty special running backs, uh, some great tools, great talent come through that. I think Jay not had a chance to be one of those guys. Wow. All right, Jack Plummer. So give us your uh, your first game read on Jack Plummer, the transfer in from the Big Ten. Uh, so if you look at him as a quarterback, purely as a quarterback, and I coach quarterbacks privately here, and I coach high school football, and so I try to stay around the game as much as possible. But just purely from the mechanics and the, and the tools, he, he has an NFL prototype tool set. He can throw the ball. He's got every throw in the book. Uh, he's got really good feet. I think he does a nice job reading through progressions. I think he was kind of pushing a little bit, maybe a little bit of angst, a little bit of nerves early on to kind of establish himself and be the guy. You know, a lot, a lot of pressure on the shoulders of a transfer quarterback. And so I think he's pushing in that first quarter. Uh, but once he settled in, he made a great play. Once he was in the third quarter, where he actually got flushed, had to climb the pocket. And as he climbed the pocket, he had a chance to jump the ball off right now. But he remained a passer. He actually looked a defender off and threw the deeper ball. Uh, and I said right there, I'm like, okay, now he's in his game. Now he's in his rhythm. Hmm. And so I think he got better as the game went along. I thought his accuracy was really good. I thought his reads were really good. And I thought he did a nice job of maintaining composure, uh, even with a little pressure on him. Did you have a chance to watch any of the UNLV game against Idaho State and check out what uh, their quarterback, Doug Brumfield, did in game one? No, so that's my, that's my uh, review for tonight for the game is I get to watch that game. Uh, but I heard he had a fantastic game. But 45 points in the first half is pretty good. Yeah, he was 21 to 25 for uh, 356 and and four touchdowns. Idaho State's not a a great team, but in terms of maturity, he looked like a much more mature quarterback. And he hasn't played a whole lot because he's been dinged up. So, how big a threat do you think the Rebels are for this Cal team in game number two? And if I'm correct, doesn't Cal have Notre Dame in two weeks? No, yeah, so Notre Dame next week. So mm. uh, Rebels coming in and off to South Bend. Uh, so it's, you know, you have more fast twitch than you had last week versus UC Davis, right? You have better athletes on the field. I know we disrespect UC Davis, uh, but I think the Rebels are going to have 
a little bit faster, a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger guys than Davis had. And so the Bears are going to have to pick up their game. I think it's a real test uh, to come out and, and to try to, you know, it's at home. That always helps. But I think it's, it's um, you know, it's the next step in the evolution of this team. That, you know, you see live votes for one game, you have a sense of who they are, but you still don't really know who they are. They've got to gel. You know, we said, I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention Jeremiah Irby, uh, a corner who's a true freshman, had five picks during camp, but had a fantastic interception uh, going from the north side. Uh, just played it off and made a fantastic interception. So another great newcomer to the team. So we have a lot of these pieces that have to gel together and fit. Uh, but I think, you know, Cal has a chance. It's got to find a way to put it together, but the Rebels are definitely passed. Does... It really matter when you can pluck a couple of coaches from a staff. Like, how much of an ad, an advantage or like secrets could Keith Hayward and and their uh, the the uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, linebacker coach for the Rebels was also on the Cal Bear staff. I don't I don't know how much that stuff matters a year you know a year later. Well, there's there's a sense of familiarity. I talked to Coach Wilcox today. He said, "Oh, you really want to screw a team up? Give them your whole playbook." Like, you know, give them everything, and then it's all, and you're just chasing ghosts the whole day. Yeah. And so you just got to kind of play your game. You think about it, when when offenses and defenses go against each other, right, these are the guys that are running very similar systems, they beat each other every day in practice. Yeah. And so even though they are so familiar with each other, you still get a win or you get a loss, depending on the day. And so it's all about making plays. It's about being in the right place. And quite honestly, it's about film study. This early in the season, you don't have a lot of film to study. And so, since you're a different opponent, you're going to have to kind of learn it as the game goes along. And so, that's the biggest thing. Who can adapt to what they're seeing on the field? How do you understand what they're trying to do to you? Now, most defenses are trying to make you play left-handed, unless you're a lefty, of course, and they're to make you play right-handed, yeah. or if you're offhand. And then most offenses are trying to exploit the leverage that you're giving up. And there's always leverage on defense that you're giving up. You just got to find it. And so... That's the key. Who can who can adapt to that? Who can do it during the game uh, the quickest uh, to create that momentum? So, Pat, under Wilcox uh, in in the Pac-12, Cal has been a really good defensive team. The media had three guys in total, first team and second team defense before the season started. Uh, what can UNLV fans expect to see defensively from Cal? Well, so the Bears lost uh, their biggest, their best football player, quite honestly, Brett Johnson, before the season started. He's a defensive tackle, three technique. Uh, he was a game-changer up front. And so you have some young bodies up front. They were good at times versus Davis. They can get a lot better than they were. I think the Bears are really, really solid at the linebacker position. Jackson Sermon came in, Peter Sermon's son. Uh, he was uh, an all-pack 12-pack player from the University of Washington last year, transferred in. So he locks down that inside Mike linebacker position really good. Uh, Sammy Oladejo is another guy. Uh, he is an absolute genetic Freak, right? He won the genetic lottery two times over. Um, he is six foot, I want to say three, 255, runs like a deer, hits like a Mack truck, um, and he's just 19 years old. And so he can fly. He is ripped. He's a really good football player. Nate Machina, another guy who's actually an interesting story, a high school receiver, uh, local high school here at Monta Vista, but just a really good, skilled, smart player at that linebacker spot. There's several others, that, uh, Blake Angelatis. Linebacker position is really solid. Um, in the secondary, Lamaji Hearns is the classic uh, De La Salle guy, undersized, a ton of grit. He has good skills, great ball skills, always in the right position, super smart, 6'4", 
safeties for the Bears are really a strength. Daniel Scott, uh, very good, intuitive player. Uh, and then you guys open with Craig Woodson's interception for the pick six. Uh, also, probably physically, maybe the best prototype. Well, between him and Femi, the two best prototype NFL players on their defense uh, at that other safety. And I, I talked to you uh, that other corner spot. You got uh, Isaiah Young is a really good corner. And then you also have a newcomer. Uh, he still knew his name, actually, he made the interception. I talked about it earlier. But a fantastic player at that, that other corner spot. So there's some good guys out there, linebacker the strength, safety the strength. Uh, and then if they get better on the outside edges, you've got a really good defense. Mike Pulaski, the uh, former Cal Bear quarterback, late 80s into the early 90s, arena football legend. Yeah, we'll call him an arena football legend. Why not, right? Um, hey, tell us here in Vegas, what's the mood right now around Cal football with the uncertainty of the Pac-12? I'm sure there's a lot of annoyance with UCLA kind of just doing whatever it wanted in the, U- in, the, in the UC system. But, like, what's the mood right now around this program? Do, you know, is everyone looking you know, for an invite to get to the Big Ten? You're going to keep the Pac-12 together? What's going on? Yeah, boy, is that the question of the hour? Um, it's you know nobody ever liked SC to begin with, so you know whatever. And UCLA <laughs> for them to kind of desert the conference was shocking, um, you know. But they went as a partner deal, which made them more money. So from the one side, right, as an athlete and accountability, and you know the Pac-12 guy, I personally feel you know a little betrayed by those two. But as a businessman, I totally understand why they did it, and so it's hard to. It's hard to argue with doubling your yearly take-home, right? You go from $32 million to $70 million in the blink of an eye by signing a contract. It's a huge difference maker for those programs. I don't know what's going to happen with this whole thing. I know the Pac-12, the chatter, at least, is that everybody is standing strong right now. There's a lot of solidarity among the conference teams, the athletic directors. Um, it's all going to come down to what the TV contracts say because – in the last year, I mean, it's always been a business, but in the last year, college sports has really become a business, an actual business, where they're putting it on the front page that it's a business, right? So it's all about the money now. And so the next thing, here's the interesting thing, the next chip that's going to fall is that the players are now going to be at the table for some of that network money. Mm-hmm. That has to happen. Yep. Because you can't have these you know, institutions getting all this money right. where athletic departments have to actually pay to be on campus where all the other units on campus get to just be on campus and they get money from the school, the athletic departments have to pay to be there. And so you're going to have loose affiliate. What's going to end up happening, you're going to have loose affiliations between the athletic department and the school, and then the athletes are going to start getting paid some of this network money as well. Mike, we appreciate the spot. We'll see you uh, up in Berkeley. Thank you so much. Absolutely great. Thank you for having me on. There he is, former Cal Bear quarterback, played in the Arena League, was an eighth-round pick of the Buccaneers in 92. Mm-hmm. Mike Palowski, uh, you know, adding to what he just said about the athletes sharing in some of the monies, you do realize, and we will get to it coming up, you do realize the kind of dollars that this 12-team playoff is going to bring in. I saw some low estimates and then a TV guy that we lean on, he's up on Twitter, uh, Bob Thompson, who used to be an executive with Fox. They're talking about a yearly deal to get the 12-team playoff of $2.2 billion added to the mix. And it's already going, you know, we're north of a billion dollars just for the Big Ten deal. 
The money is insane. Two point two billion annually, huh? <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> it's great. I mean, That's yes, why of course. We should have I've 20 plus years on sports radio been like, do this. The amount of money that's going to be brought in, it'll be one of the biggest events we have every year. 